This is Not Quite Dead, a gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies, but sometimes we really just like to keep it shallow. I'm your host, Kate. I'm Megan. Get ready for all the spoilers. Sixty-six is just like such a cool year to set something in. I was just going to say a very clever date, guys. Very nice. <laughs> What's going to happen in 2666? Oh, I don't know. I guess we won't be here. <laughs> There's a, a poem called Annus Mirabilis, which is about the year 1666, but it's about things that happened in London because there was a all of these horrible things were happening in London <laughs> at the same time. There was a plague resurgence. There was a great fire that burned down most of London. Um, <laughs> it was just oh, like a series of like horrible things that happened. And meanwhile, on the other side of the pond, <laughs> you have a bunch of crazy Puritans running around trying to <laughs> trying to burn oh, people goodness. for being lesbian witches. <laughs> I to be fair though, uh Europe did start this trend. It's all their fault. <laughs> they started it, but they ended it relatively quickly and then Americans were like, that looks great. Let's keep Let's doing, keep doing that it for like hundreds of years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. You know, they kind of went through it in the early 1600s and then they were over it and then well, they went through it before that, but it but it ended in the early 1600s. We went on a craze starting in the late 1600s, and still today there is persecution happening. Not not quite as a uh, violent as back then in America, at least, but it's it's crazy. Those Puritan roots run deep. You know, it's hard to get away from. You <laughs> can't help it. <laughs> Well, we are talking Fear Street. It's the third out of the trilogy, 1666. We are now learning the uh, origin story of Shadyville and Sunnyvale. At the time in 1666, they were one town just known as Union, and everything was good and happy, and nothing ever went bad ever. Of course not. Then the lesbians <laughs> arrived and ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> do you think all witches were just actually lesbians and people just didn't like them so historically um yeah i mean like witches were women who lived on the outskirts of town uh usually independently um people accused of witchcraft were uh, women who could support themselves and did not need a man or a family to support them so they tended to be widows or unmarried spinsters. And there's a lot of reasons why someone could be an unmarried spinster. They could just have chosen to be one. They could be a lesbian <laughs> who did not want to trifle with any of that bullshit. But yeah, I mean, it was very easy to saddle the blame for a town's problems on a, a, on an independent woman of means. And so... I don't think it's all that surprising in this movie that the townspeople are like, there's a lot of weird things going on. Our fruit is rotten. 
there's a dead dog in the well. I think it's those lesbians. Yeah. <laughs> Who else could it be? Yeah, very rarely were men uh, accused of witchcraft in America. There was one guy, Giles Corey, who was pressed to death, basically squished between two slabs of stone. Because Is he the more weight guy. Yeah, he's the more weight <laughs> yeah. guy. Yeah, he refused nice. to say he was guilty <laughs> because he wasn't guilty because there is no such thing as witches. <laughs> and he died anyway. <laughs> God. Oh man, he's the he's got the most badass like death yes. ever though. Ugh. You know, any last words, yeah. any confession of guilt, he just asks for more weight. Yeah. Total badass. How amazing. I would love to go out like I, that's not true. I would love to die in my sleep yes. when I'm very old. But like I would love if I were being persecuted for no reason, I would love to just be able to be like, yeah kill me harder but I know that I would probably just be like crying and like I'd be like kill that other person instead of me (laughs) yeah I am no they're all witches they're all witches (laughs) not me (laughs) well let's get a really quick summary and wrap up this series fear street part three jumps between the times that we've got here more than the first two movies so this one takes place in 1666 with Dina from 1994 having a vision of the events that are taking place around Seraphir. Seraphir at the time is a teenager living in Union um, before it's split into Shadyside and Sunnyvale. So in this town, Seraphir starts witnessing strange behaviors. Her dad starts acting strangely. The pastor is behaving bizarrely after the pastor kills a congregation full of children the the town decides so logically that it's not because the pastor has gone crazy it's that witchcraft must be the cause of these events and it must be sarah and hannah because they're doing sinful sinful things out in the woods that they're not supposed to be doing and so Sarah sacrifices herself for Hannah so that Hannah doesn't have to die. And as Sarah dies, she places a curse on this town. Meanwhile, back in 1994, after Dina is witnessing all of this through Sarah's eyes, she realizes that this original curse is not from Sarah Fear. Um, Sarah has been able to, you know, kind of put a curse on, on, this town by swearing vengeance but it's the good family spoiler alert twist alert (laughs) the good family ironic last name alert i know right (laughs) the good family is responsible for this they have built this ritual where every generation they randomly select a person um conveniently from shady side to be possessed and go and kill a bunch of people and then in exchange for that the Sunnyvale side of town is wealthy and prosperous the good family gets to be successful and all they have to do is facilitate some some murdering that's it once Dina and the kids figure that out then it is just a race to try and (laughs) race to try and kill the sheriff (laughs) before he kills them (laughs) At the end of episode two, we see that Dina has woken up 
inside of Sarah Fear's body. And I was expecting this movie to be like Army of Darkness. Like, I thought we were going to go back to this time and she's going to resolve it there. And then we're done with 1994. I thought so, too. I don't know if I would have liked that better or worse. I don't. It just would have been different. But that's exactly where I thought it was going, too. And it took me a moment to catch up to the fact that she's just witnessing the events through Sarah. I loved how this enabled us to see the original kid actors from episode one again, because Mm -hmm. they come back with her and they, I, I, well, I shouldn't phrase it like that. They, they are there with her during that time, but playing other characters um, in the town. And I thought that was nice because I really liked all these kid actors. I thought they were all great and it was cool to see them again. I did like seeing them reuse the, the same actors as a nice through line to the first movie. And um, yeah, I don't have anything else to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> so Dina is acting as Seraphir. Our cop, Nick Good, is playing Solomon. He's kind of living on the outskirts of town by himself. Mm-hmm. Hint, hint. Sam plays Hannah. She's the daughter of the pastor. And again, like very forbidden love with uh, Dina. Josh, Dina's brother, plays her brother in this time period, Henry. Our cheerleader friend, Kate. She is another friend of Sarah. And the sisters come back. We have Ziggy and Cindy. Back as Constance and Abigail. And uh, Mm -hmm. our nurse comes back as a witchy woman which does sort of align with her role as the nurse and befriending the outcast. She becomes the nurse in this timeline. It's nice that they have so many parallels between the first two movies and this one. Like we see that there's this still love relationship between Sarah and Hannah that we see in Sam and Dina in what is their present day. You're totally right about the nurse being like a, very easy parallel for the witchy lady. And then, of course, like Nick Good playing his own ancestor, playing the guy who started this whole horrible, <laughs> horrible mess between these two towns that did not need to be like this. What a bozo. I uh, really liked the curses playing out. I wrote down the curse count. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you, want, you want to take us through some of them? Yeah. Our first curse is the dead dog in the well, mm-hmm. right? And it's sad because that's Sarah's dog. It's so sad that he ends up in the well. I know. Dogs just don't have a good time in horror movies. No. I know it's a cliche, but like truly, they, they just really don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're up on the chopping block. Sarah and Henry's pig has given birth recently to a bunch of piglets, and Sarah did a badass job of making sure they all survived but Mm -hmm. after the the curse that nick has instigated in this town takes place that mother pig turns around and kills all her babies (laughs) she's eating them all pretty gruesome yeah the fact that she's eating her babies was really gruesome you ever had a gerbil kate 
Um, no, but I know that yeah. they're gross and <laughs> they're do things awful. like that too. <laughs> oh man, when I was a kid, we had a pair of gerbils and we didn't, we were told they were both the same sex, but of course they weren't. And we did not have enough space for baby gerbils. And so they would have babies and then eat them and then have babies oh and God. eat them. And it was so traumatizing for my That's sisters and horrible. I. So we gave them to a friend with snakes. Oh my god. It's just a sad story all around. It truly is. There's a lot of animals that will eat their young for like, yeah, space reasons or if an animal feels like they're not going to have the resources mm-hmm. to take care of their like young, then they'll just kill them. Like I've heard of like feral cats like just just killing their kittens when they have them because they're like well, you're not going to make it. <laughs> I mean, does the doctor sit there and tell them this? Like all all the things that are going to happen to them before they kill their baby? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Send these feral animals to Texas. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. We get the overturned cart. That's a minor one. But mm-hmm. we do see the horse freaking out. And then some maggoty flour, which is gross. Gross. Yeah. Gross. I hate bugs in food hate like yeah. it just makes my skin crawl it's disgusting uh and then there's some rotten bread and fruit hanging out on the table everything has just gone to shit especially for poor sarah it's all her stuff why is solomon i know targeting her i thought they were friends it's so shitty how they turn on sarah right caleb says I think that Sarah and Hannah are the witches yeah. because he saw them kissing. <laughs> and no one stops to think like, well, whose dead dog in the well was that? And whose flower went maggoty? Like they, they're like, why would Sarah do this to herself? Why would Sarah as a witch not try and do things to benefit herself or to hurt other people. Why would she be going through all of this to hurt herself yeah. or hurt her father? It makes no sense. And then, of course, we get the apex of the curse, which is the pastor mm-hmm. <laughs> trapping all of the children in the church and digs out all their eyes. <laughs> uh, genuinely shocked yeah. when that scene happened. I was like, Oh shit, he killed all the kids. And then I was like, oh God, there you don't <laughs> it's have any even eyes. worse. <laughs> it was really brutal. I I know we say this in each of these minisodes, but these movies are R. They're rated yeah. R. And I think they earn it. Deservedly like, so. They really truly earn their R for being kind of teen slasher fix. Like they don't really hold back on how violent some of these deaths are. No. So enjoy it. Or don't. Which I can appreciate. <laughs> I, I know. Mean, this is our kids' horror season. And I yeah. honestly didn't expect <laughs> to see things that would make my stomach turn. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, we have a good, I think, breadth of horror types for kids, I think. And this one is very top of the list. Violent, horror, gross sex it's just yeah it's all of it but for kids Mm -hmm. (laughs) somehow (laughs) yeah yeah they really ramp it up the setting you would think you know with puritans 
being Puritans, <laughs> you wouldn't expect them to go quite so satanic, but they obviously do. I would have expected more sex in this one and less violence because I know Puritans like to get down, but it didn't really happen in this one. Yes, Puritans were all about sex. Um, it was kind of their their godly duty to have kids, and so they tried frequently. <laughs> Okay, so this movie starts out in 1666, and you go through this whole plot and arc, and Sarah gets it at the end, as we well know, and then they take you back to 1994, and when they do that, I'm like, oh, God, it's like we have another movie. It feels mm -hmm. like, and, and we kind of do, the first part of the movie is only an hour. But it felt yeah. like a full movie to me. It did. I feel like they put a lot of action, a lot of plot in that first part. How long is the second part? Because the second part feels quite long. It minutes, feels very something like that. Tonally, it feels very different yeah. because now it's like a different type of action. And we've already kind of had this like climax and like mini resolution of like okay, Hannah and the friends are going to bury Sarah under the tree and grieve for her. And then it's like, okay, smash cutting out in 1994 and Dina's back and her and her friends got to go stop Nick before more people die. And it's, and it's like, okay, we got to ramp back up the action and like get another 45 minutes of movie out of this. Yeah. And it just, it, it kind of like, it like lost its momentum partway through for me. And so then you kind of have to like reinvigorate yes. yourself back into the movie. I would have preferred that this before movies actually. And they just oh, yeah. did 1666 on its own and then came back to mm -hmm. 1994 in a fourth movie. I would have been okay with that. Almost as like 1994 is like almost an epilogue. Mm -hmm. Like, like, oh, like now we have the resolution of 1666. We know why this curse is happening. And then we have this final part. They should have called it Fear Street, the final chapter. Mm -hmm. It's weird because they call it 1994 part two, which I get why. But mm -hmm. it, it just reads as like part two to me. And I'm like, this is the third mm -hmm. movie. It's sort of weird. Like, I just don't like how it's not handled consistently in each movie. As the movies go, I mean, because it starts in 1994 and... That part one is only in 1994. Mm -hmm. 1978 has the opening scene in 94, and then basically the rest of the movie in 78, and then just kind of that closing mm -hmm. bit in 94. And then this one, it's like 94 to 66, and then a lot in 94. And I could have, yeah, easily just had this be 1666, and then a 45-minute long ending. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been fine. Yeah. We get this weird, I want to say 13 ghost style ritual at the end to get rid of all of the monsters. They're being lured towards their target, which is, in this case, who is it in this case? Is it Dina? Is, oh, it's, it's Sam still. It's Sam. It's still it's Sam. Sam still. Yeah. Yeah. And so they use sam's blood 
is it, mm-hmm. it's Sam's blood, right? And they're they're using they it as a lure. They have it in like their squirt guns and they have it in a bucket to dump on the sheriff. And I waffled back and forth on whether or not I liked this part of the plot. Do you know what I mean? Like the they're not necessarily after her body, they're after her blood. Yeah, I can see what you're saying because I think that it's maybe making some assumptions about the mechanics of mm-hmm. how these killers are working that they hadn't really established before. Right. I I guess that you would maybe think back to, well, how did Sam activate the curse? And it was because she accidentally bled on the bones. Is that why? And it is, right? Yeah. Because Nick is also orchestrating this, isn't he? So Nick's orchestrating it, but all of the other killers come back when someone bleeds on the bones. Okay. So you have, so Nick or any descendant of the good family will select a person to be possessed. And then that person goes on their murder spree. But when you bleed on Sarah Fear's bones, it reactivates all historical killers that the good family had previously selected. Okay, so I think I just missed that little bit because I was like, why is everybody up for grabs with this last (laughs) ritual? I don't think they're explicit about it. I think that I only got that from like rewatching them, that like there's kind of two separate curses going on. There's like... And that even doesn't, I mean, the more we're talking about it, the more I'm like, does this make sense? (laughs) Because I'm like thinking about how when Sarah was being hung, her curse is vengeance against the good family. That's like the curse that she actually wants to lay on the town. But it's like, Sarah, you did a really bad job on your curse Mm -hmm. because your curse just means that anyone who bleeds on your bones is going to be targeted. And that's not necessarily like a good family descendant. Like it's these like teen girls right. <laughs> are, are bleeding on your bones. And now you're sending all of these undead killers from 300 years worth of time after them. I've got to say, though, I am really appreciative that there was no ghost and Dina talking it out like we saw last week in Scary Stories. <laughs> Agreed. I'm glad that they were just like, we got to reunite the hand with the rest of the bones and we have to whatever they do yeah. <laughs> to finish. We need this. to carry Nick good. I, this perfectly mummified hand after it was just thrown in the dirt 300 years ago. Yeah. And Dina kills Nick. Yay. That's what breaks the curse. Nick just had to die. And Nick didn't have any kids, so it seems like it's over. Right. They caught him when he was, like, still in his bachelor phase. He's probably like, I'm a man. I have plenty of time. (laughs) I'm the sheriff of Sunnyvale. (laughs) Nick Good makes me sad as a character because I really thought he was adorable as a teen in the last movie. And I really wanted him to be good. <laughs> he was so nice to Ziggy. And then you find out why. They do a good job of of kind of turning that on you to be like, oh, yeah, like he's sympathetic when he's younger because he's not 
fully bought in on this whole evil scheme yet. Or I mean, he's at least not acting on the evil scheme. Well, he is. Um, he's the one that selects Tommy. Oh, you're right. Yes. Yeah. So he you're knew, right. but he, he was he still knew. like dealing with it in his head. And then once he had that taste of power, it's like, yep, I think I'll keep doing right. this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's such a bummer. I feel like there's so many like secret rules to like how this like selecting of a killer works. Mm -hmm. And because if Nick was able to do it once when he was a teenager and then is able to do it again as an adult to get school mask. Like, I thought it was once yeah. a generation, but I guess you can do it as many times as you want a generation. <laughs> well, right. See, I got confused about the rules, too, because in the last yeah. movie, in 1978, the nurse's daughter had recently killed her friends and herself. Mm -hmm. And they were in the same grade as Tommy. So right. it's just, like, never ending. Yeah. It just seems to be arbitrary. Like, however frequently... The good family wants to do it. They're going to do it for their own personal gain. But there's like a minimum number of possessions that they need. Right. Right. I guess. And it's All right. really cool because uh, the reason why he has to kill people is to feed this weird demon blob underground like sacrificial blood. So somehow I wish we got more time with the blob. I know. That was cool. <laughs> the blob was really cool and it was really gross because it's just like blobby body parts. And when you touch it, it gives you like demonic visions of all the victims. <laughs> and it's always the exact same scene of the victims every time. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I I was like someone tell me more about this blob and like and then nick gets gets killed and yeah it's, it's like over. oh okay i guess we're done with the blob I now know. so this blob wants their blood but it's not like they have to die on top of it so somehow the no. blood is transferred like yeah telepathically or what like i was like like a psychic transfer yeah. of like blood and death into this representation of like devil yeah like worship i don't know because it's like it's right next to where they've got the wall where they're writing all the names mm -hmm. on it right yeah of everyone who's being possessed right this is why i think it would have been nice to have 1994 part two be its own movie so we could have gone into that a bit more spent more time with the yeah. blob yeah you know i don't know that this movie this movie probably didn't want people mm -hmm doing a podcast episode about it because I think that <laughs> we're talking about it and we're trying to hash out like, well, what are the rules? What's the logic here? Like, could we have gotten more time with it? And I, I know that anytime you try and like get like a solid pat yeah. explanation in a horror movie of like supernatural things, it always like kind of sucks. Yeah. Because you're like, okay, I guess that's the rule. <laughs> it's it's also comforting because I think horror movies sometimes try to reach for comfort, which is to have consistent rules, or they try to act like they have consistent rules. And when you try to do that, it 
it'll always trip you up because honestly, if the rules actually worked, evil would probably win every time. And that's kind of why I appreciated Hereditary so much. Hereditary mm-hmm. was like, here's your rules. They don't work. Fuck you. You're dying. And yeah. uh, movies like this that most horror movies, I should say, that try to stick to their own rules end up fucking it up. Always. Without fail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but I, I don't want to say that I didn't like this movie. I think it's, I still think it's a cool movie. Um, but I did think mm-hmm. a lot about that blob and and about who's who's summoning who and how it really ends. It it's just a little convoluted at the end. I agree. It it gets a little busy with the two time periods and trying to wrap up all the threads. And I mean, but I like it. Like mm-hmm. I I would recommend this movie. And I think that it's a good closer. Like, I think that it does wrap up in a way where you're like, oh, we're, we're done. Or are we? Like, <laughs> they could make more. Totally. <laughs> they could, yeah, they could make more. But I think that it's like a pretty satisfying conclusion to the, to the first two. Yeah. I am so happy that they released all three of these movies. They didn't just stop after the second one, as Netflix is often want to do. And they actually wrapped up all of these threads because I thought it was a really cool trilogy. And I think kids would like it today. I think I think it'll be a, a good one for them. I think so, too. I think that it's one of the most like recent movies that we've done. Mm-hmm. I mean, these all came out in 2021. So very, very, very contemporary. And I think that they're just a really good addition to this kind of like young adult slasher genre that we don't get a ton of. So I'm into it. And I think that similar to part one and part two, it's going to depend on your kid. This one doesn't really have the sex quite as much. I mean, there's some lesbian smut at the beginning, but it's not as graphic as part two was. So, I mean, you know, anywhere 14 to 18, dependent on your kid, is probably appropriate. What she said, uh, same as the other two, there would not be any awkward moments watching this one with your kid, I would say. (laughs) So go for it. Yeah, I agree. And now, our last glow-in-the-dark craft. All right, Kate. I'm going to go first this time. This was my favorite glow in the dark craft and i thought it came out really well and i wouldn't be surprised honestly if i did it again oh glowy face mask yes how fun immediately like i was like oh i want to do glow in the dark face masks and i don't know why kate i really don't know why i think i think i saw some tutorials on how to make glow in the dark x Right. And then I started thinking like, oh, that'd be so cool to have face paint. And then, oh, that'd be so cool to just do masks. (laughs) (laughs) So you'll see in the picture, I did buy some glow in the dark powder that you can add to anything. And I just looked up basic face mask tutorials. So I made three different face masks. One was almonds and olive oil. The second one was coconut oil and honey. I have a link to all of the different types of 
recipes you can try. Plus, there's just a million more out there that you could that you could mix on your own and just added some of the powder to it. The thing about the powder is it has to charge in sunlight or under a black light. But you just mix that into your face mask and apply it on your face. And then you can do like, I don't know, pictures like silly pictures with your your mask on or just hang out on the couch with your masks on because it's kind of fun. I would do this with Honestly, I would do this with you, Kate. <laughs> I would do this with my girlfriends. Oh, fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I would probably do this with like my older kids who who wanted to wear face masks, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. but but you could honestly do this with any age level. It's a fun way to just sort of get messy with your kids. It's really cute and it looks like really easy. I mean, I love at-home face masks using just kind of stuff you've got in your mm-hmm. pantry. And the powder is really fun. I had no idea that was a thing that you could do. I know. So that's awesome. And if you guys go check out the picture on the blog, I included a picture of the glow-in-the-dark uh, powder. And there is a 20% off coupon ready for you to use. My craft. This is my favorite thing that I did of all of the glow-in-the-darks. And it was something I wanted to do as soon as we decided that we were doing glow-in-the-dark was I wanted to make glow-in-the-dark slime. Ah! I know that slime is like so popular yes. with kids right now, and it is so easy to make. You use any glow-in-the-dark glue, and this is what I had bought originally, the blue sparkle glow-in-the-dark glue, so there would be some good base color. You use water, saline solution, and baking powder, and honestly, it's a perfect craft for little like even like little kids like four or five and up because you really just keep playing with the ratios until you get a slime that's a consistency that you like so you add more baking powder until it's stretchy enough you add saline solution if it's not more saline solution or less saline solution depending on how sticky you want it you can add more glue if the ratio starts getting funky or uh, it's really easy to let water slough off of it if you feel like it's getting too wet. So it's like a nice like experiment in teaching young kids about ratios, I guess. So you just really need to watch them to make sure that they're not like eating baking soda or whatever. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> or eye solution. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you just um, shine a bright light on it for like a minute or two um i used my phone camera to just concentrate light on it and it lights right up i only have positive things to say about glow in the dark glue um, it, <laughs> it's very very vibrantly gl- glows in the dark with yeah. not a ton of light um, and then you just go into a pitch black room and then you have this like bright glowing oozy material to <laughs> play fun. with that's fun yeah, it's super it comes together super fast. Besides the glue, I had literally all of the other supplies in my house. You can find a million recipes for slime that use, you know, if you don't have saline solution, you can sub something else for it, etc. Uh so super cheap, very accessible. If you've already made slime, you just sub your normal glue with a glow in the dark glue. It's very easy. It's very ghostbusters. Makes you want to have an echo cooler. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Well, I hope you guys have enjoyed our crafts 
and our synopsis of Fear Street. It's actually a really great trilogy, and I hope that you and your older kids enjoy it. Continuing with the R.L. Stein theme, we have Goosebumps up for you next. So stay tuned, listen in, and let us know what you think. This was not quite dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at notquitedeadpodcast and on Twitter at nqd underscore podcast. Follow our blog for bonus content at notquitedeadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And happy watching.